0: You can always use a chart for toilet paper, but you can't use a toilet paper for a chart.
1: Recorded live.
2: Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 176 recorded live October 24th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson from the white side of the state of Michigan. And when I say that, I mean snowy, not something else. And joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Venture. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing pretty good. It's been a little a couple of weeks since I've been on. Yeah, you've
2: been having all sorts of fun all over. Give everybody a respite. And then also joining us this week, we have Jim. How are you doing
1: today, Jim Schultz?
2: I'm alive. <laughs> well, that's good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, it's it's been a couple weeks.
1: I was going to say, other that or he's the walking dead, but I don't think they can talk as well as he does. <laughs> P- probably not.
2: But it, it's it been a few weeks. It's been a couple weeks since we did a show, and then also... Uh, Mac, I think it's almost been a month since we had you on.
1: Yeah, it seemed like Tuesdays and Thursdays was football night for my nephews, and if it wasn't that, it was been to the River Conservation Club. So I didn't go tonight. (laughs) So here I be. (laughs) Oh, awesome.
2: Well, it's. uh, I think I think everybody's got some diving here in the last thirty days. But we have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's still not too cold yet. Water, Water hasn't gotten hard.
1: But it's creeping down there, I'll clue you not. It's in the 40s now.
2: Yeah, I, I, I just posted on Facebook earlier today uh, a photo of my back deck with a half an inch of snow on it. And I don't think I remember ever seeing snow that stuck for any amount of time before Halloween. I I, I can remember right. as a kid once on Halloween Eve we had a little bit of snow which stuck for a while, but... I think I think we're gonna have an early winter this year.
1: I hope not. I got some more dive plans, man. We don't need that stuff yet.
2: <laughs> okay, well, let's go ahead and get the news out of the way. We'll jump right on into the news. Thank you, everybody who's in the chat room. We have Dave and Mark and Roger in there. So if you're missing out in the chat room, you're missing out a lot. I paste the the show notes in there and here with all this prep and fight to. But to get on the show, I didn't. I don't even have my, my news feed up. Uh, first one is a follow-up, and we have a British diver sets a new world record for longest underwater for warm water diving. Now, do they say what warm water is? He said it's a Seth, Seth McGarren spent 49 hours and 56 minutes in the bottom of the Mediterranean off the coast of Malta. He kept himself busy by cleaning the seabed and managed to drink, eat, and sleep while submerged. He broke the previous world record, which was set by Will Goodman in 2010, by more than an hour. Uh, Sean also holds the longest open saltwater dive world record with 12 hours and 34 minutes.
1: Do you have a clue what they meant by longest open water? I mean, the Mediterranean is salt. So it seems like if you were in the Mediterranean for 49 hours, you beat the open saltwater scuba dive record?
2: You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to contact Guinness. (laughs) And see if they can provide us a list of all the different scuba diving records. Because it it seems to be there's a lot of nitpicking going on.
1: Well, that, that, what is it, the uh, East Sussex, Georgia's Bay? That's freaking cold up there. Yeah. So I can understand the 12 hours. And I can understand 49 and a lot warmer. So I wonder if that's the difference. Because they definitely said Warm longest yeah. warm water scuba dive
2: well so and I wonder be also because they've had some of them where they'll be protected like in a bay or a cove and some are just yes out in the open so
1: but it's interesting because even looking at the one he did in the one in the east chair he's not, he does not have a full face on. and it does look like he's got a hookah line down to his regulator
2: yeah well is that or did you line... notice that and then in, um... or is that just an extra long line? The one where he's in the chair?
1: Yeah, well, he's got a bottle in his lap. I think that's his bailout because the line that goes up, oh, and you're saying where the bubbles are, it might hook around?
2: Yeah, it, to me it okay, looks like it's coming off that. It. I see that. So he's so just got an extra, you know, like a cave lead or something on it.
1: All right, I can see that now. Yeah. Well, that must have been a chore. That'll keep him busy.
2: I think i got to swap out tanks. Yeah. Because I think for I scuba, you couldn't use water. a hookah.
1: I wouldn't think so, unless you're off of tanks. Yeah, that I guess beats, you do again, that, yeah. Well, that defeats the purpose of scuba, you're correct.
2: Yeah, yeah, but he's... Uh, yeah, but there there are some shots of him down below where he does have a full face mask on.
1: I was going to say, if he went to sleep, I don't think he's going to do that with a regular regulator. No, I'd, I'd be snoring so away, like
2: a, spit that regular out and drown.
1: Yeah, because that looked like an awe guy's got there, doesn't it? Or yes. our version of it.
2: I see him with the octopus. Yeah, it's... It's hard to it's hard to see. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we, we need to look at that. I think I think we need to come up with a our own record thing.
1: Well, I can see where he needed that help getting the heck out, and the sling tanks. You saw that part, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, easily. Because when I first saw that, I was thinking, is he? You know, did he get that weak in forty four hours? But it's just. I mean, part of its weakness, and then part of it is—I mean, how, what are those hundred cubic plus steel?
1: It sure looks that way, doesn't it?
2: Well, let's let's hope he he doesn't have any situations like this next one.
1: We have an air
2: tank explode at the Olympia Dive Center.
0: Olympia Dive Center. I think that's it. Oh, up Olympia, in... Washington. Oh, okay, <clears throat> okay, it's yeah. not what I expected.
2: No, no, this one was up in Washington, Olympia, Washington. A dive. Air canister exploded in the Capitol dive shop in Olympia Tuesday morning, and that was a little over a week ago, damaging the building but causing no injuries. Residents near the dive shop reported hearing an explosion at Harrison and Decatur Streets around 12.30 p.m. One witness reported hearing a hiss and a horrible smell afterwards. The Olympia Fire Department Chief Greg Wright said the air tank outside the building had thrown debris about 50 yards in each direction. The blast also created a hole in the shop's back wall. One store worker was inside a time, but he was not injured. Hmm.
1: I wonder what the awful smell was.
2: Well, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, how, or is that just people putting two two together? I'm, I mean, even if the tank exploded, I can't see that there would be a smell.
1: Not with regular air. I mean, I can see if you had particulate from the wall being blown out, you know. But other than that, I really don't know what the smell part came from. Yeah.
2: I've seen a few pictures of it. The one in this article shows, you know, a cascade bank just kind of laying off the side. Yeah. And then you can just see a, a hole in the wall. So it, an, um, the explosion looked like it was fairly low. So I wonder if it really was a tank that went or if it was something else.
1: I don't know. I was trying to look at the top of the valves for the uh, connections, and I don't really see that.
2: Yeah. Well, then they said they heard a hiss and then an explosion. So what if it was a uh, oxygen tank?
1: But even the smell, I don't understand. And the hiss, I can see if you had a pressure disc go, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm thinking a regular air tank, if you had a pressure disc go, you, you shouldn't get an explosion after you hear a hiss.
1: That, I wouldn't think you would no. either.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, it's, who who knows how credible the, the witnesses are. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of like, a, you know, after a tornado, you know, they always find somebody walking around the streets who can describe it. It sounded like a freight train. Well, how about this one? I don't think any of us had one of these dive computers. A lawsuit has been filed in California. They're alleging a corporate cover-up. u Okay, so what it is is
1: uh UWATEC E-C?
2: Yeah, the company is aren't now uh UWATEC, Awatech. Isn't weren't they the ones who originally came up with the dive computer? I really could not tell you.
1: Jim might have a better yeah. idea there.
2: So what they're saying is that there was a uh, flaw in the manufacturer. Uh, there was a flaw in the manufacturer. tick hid for seven years a span of silence that jeopardized the health and safety of hundreds of divers, according to interviews, legal documents, and company memos. Uh, memos In November, four of the divers take their cases a trial in Oakland federal court where they were argue that the company blocked disclosure of the computer defect at every opportunity. After two employees urged to recall the computer, the company fired fired them. Uh, when uh, Awatech's founder sold the company, they assured the buyer that it was no defect. When the company president testified about the computer, he denied under oath that the flaw existed. And when uh, asked in January whether there was anything wrong with the computer, the technician said, Nope, go ahead and use it.
1: Did they ever say what the flaw was and how serious the flaw was?
2: No, I'm,
0: I'm trying to see. Chat room, chat room is saying that Uatech is now ScubaPro. Oh, it was. This was an error before it was Scuba Pro.
2: Oh, okay. So this is uh, really an old case, and it sounds like the one individual is actually injured who's doing the suit, uh, Robert Romero. The ex Marine had suffered a stroke. He was merely diving, baby diving, he protests. He can barely function because he said he staked his life on a sophisticated diving computer with a potentially deadly flaw.
1: Well, potentially. Means it didn't, to me, it means it didn't do it.
2: Well, I mean, he's alive, so I guess they can't.
1: I didn't realize that started out in 1987 when they first started doing those.
2: Yeah, because weren't they the ones who made the original brick, Hmm. Uatek?
1: I don't know. My first one was a hockey puck, so $1,200 piece.
2: Okay, what Dave is saying is that the flaw was multi day profiles becoming much less conservative. So it just sounds like there... And and this might be a case of where there wasn't a known flaw. It was just... Oh my goodness, this article goes on for like four pages.
1: Oh, I just... That, yeah. That's, yeah, that's I think it's the
0: weird. article alleges that the... Uh, the pseudo alleges that they knew it was a problem, yet they failed to do anything about it. Yeah.
1: I'd be curious of the amount of error factor in there.
0: Yeah. You also got to look at if it was a... Dave was pointing out that it's a uh, multiple diving profiles becoming less conservative. If it was a situation of, you know, okay, we found an error, the chances of it happening are one in 10 million, <clears throat> you know, it's into what the company considers acceptable risk from a legal perspective or from a uh, litigation perspective.
1: Well, I I look at the aspect, if they're basing it on the dive, they said they finished diving at 10 p.m. and did an air flight at 6.30, and after that they had issues. Uh, The standard is 24 hours from your dive to flight. Oh, exactly. So they were extremely non-conservative from that aspect. And even if I'd have been diving to the tables, which they obviously must have been, I wonder how much this contributed to it, as opposed to... You know, getting their full 24 hour time before you would uh, fly.
2: Now, did that ever change the uh, fly time? Has it always been 24 hours?
1: I don't know. I know that uh, between diving and jumping, I give it full 24 because I don't want to be up there at 13,000 and realize mm-hmm. I probably should have not done this. <laughs> or, or I vice go back person, to fly.
0: Yeah, I go back to my training in early 80s. And it was, you know, 24 hours between diving and flying. Okay. And that was, you know, at that point, the the only dive computer that was being tested or that was out there that I know about was the brick, And that was still experimental. So, you know, Navy table days, days of diving, the Navy table said 24 hours between flying and diving and flying. And if you had been doing multiple days of diving, they said make it even longer.
1: Yeah, and then the reference about him having a stroke, was that based? I mean, I don't see anything about the stroke within this framework they're talking. So when was the stroke incident? I didn't see any reference to that.
2: Yeah. Well, here, if you go on to the end, computer showed uh, remaining time to desaturate was nine hours rather than recommended 26, and the fly safely was five hours in the 13. Per the the device? Per the device. But even 13 would be wrong if you're supposed to have 24.
1: Correct. As a conservative number. Correct, yeah.
2: So there's a a little conflicting, but I guess that's why you have court. You know, let everybody have their day and work this out. Unfortunately, if it's a, a case of divers not doing the right thing, then you're making it more expensive for the equipment operators. You know why we can't get gear.
1: Yeah. It'd be nice to have all the facts in in time sequence, but we don't, so we're just guessing again. But again, mine has always been 24 hours from, and that's a conservative dive. We're doing deep diving, ain't no way. And
2: how about this one? Just uh, after the government reopens, we're not going to get any more charts. After 151 years, NOAA, to stop printing nautical charts.
1: They're going to go electronic, correct?
2: Yeah, they said that electronics are still going to be available. They said most mariners now use the print-on-demand nautical charts, which are up to date the moment of printing. These charts will continue to be available from NOAA-certified printers. So really what they're doing is they're getting rid of the traditional lithographic printed nautical charts. So, you know, it's a little misleading when they say they're not going to be printing them because, you know, on-demand to me is printing. It's just a different form. So instead of making a plate and printing them out and then storing them somewhere,
0: as you need them, you get them. Yeah that will sure make doing updates a lot easier.
2: Well, and then also you've got to have some spots where they were probably updating a chart or they didn't update a chart and put it more in the calendar.
1: Well, they've done the same thing for, for aviation charts now, too. Uh, since almost everything is electronic and you want the most current, up-to-date one, it's easier to get it on your iPad. And finding them in paper now, it's, it's a lot. You don't have to do that. And if you've got multi-charts, it's
2: a lot easier to use an iPad. They said, NOAA will continue to create and maintain other forms of nautical charts, including increasingly print-on-demand. NOAA announced a new product as well, a full-scale PDF portable digital format nautical charts available for free on a trial basis. Because I've gone online, and a lot of the charts are just... So I wonder what the trial means. I just went to the website. It says, for the three-month trial period, NOAA is providing about 1,000 high-resolution printable nautical charts, almost the entire NOAA suite of charts as a PDF files. The, the charts are exact images, traditional charts currently printed by lithography, and will be available for free download on October 22nd. <laughs> so I, it's well, if it's three months, it wouldn't just be one day. That would have been two days ago.
0: That was before the shutdown. <laughs> yeah. add time to anything that was in process because of the shutdown but yeah if you can get them free off noah it's time to go out and print yourself a bunch of charts well that's what i'm saying because i'm
2: heck even oh wow yeah here's the, here's the link i'll we'll paste it into the the chat room and i'll give it to you guys you can just well i might be uh work might have a little slow internet tomorrow
0: mm. Well, to there's no interesting... trust. find one of those big plotter printers
2: oh well, we've got those so that's not a problem But, you know, I've always thought that, you know, I've always liked charts just as decoration.
1: Well, it's always nice to have a a paper copy in the event that your electronics does not work. So if you're dependent on an iPad or something for a a chart and suddenly you have loss of battery or if you have loss of batteries on your boat so you can't call it up or let's say GPS went out or you're having an EMP strike and all your computers and stuff went, you know, went down. Uh-huh. If you don't have your compass and your charts, you could be in real uh, serious trouble.
2: Yeah,
0: well, Yeah. Coast Guard inspected via vessels are required to have charts, paper charts. you got to have paper charts for your operating area.
2: Well, and I wonder if that requirement is going to go away. So here's here's the chart I just sent you the link. Here's the one for St. Joe, which I now have. See, these are charts that I've been, wow. And Maybe if they give me this one for free. Well, see, that's what I don't understand is if – when they license these, are they making money to help cover the
0: cost?
1: Well, they have to at least cover their cost.
0: Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know how they're going to do it in the future. I mean, they you know, they provide the print-on-demand file. If yeah, you well, can get it for nothing, why? You would think they would want to license it.
2: Well, whenever you go to their website, they'd always redirect you to someplace else or you'd get the charts. And I think they were doing print-on-demand anyway. I'm being distracted. I gotta, I gotta save this chart.
1: I was looking at the comments at the end of the item here. I like this one. There are two things that will not fail at sea: a good compass and a paper chart. These are two items always, always make it t- to my port. I teach navigation for the Auxiliary Coast Guard and have always stressed the importance of compass and paper chart. I have electronics on board, but they fail. Paper and Compass does not. It'll be interesting.
2: Huh. Because they even show, uh, let see, where am I looking at? I wonder how current this is. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be This makes a it. great show. Meanwhile, I'm going through this chart. 1022, 2013. 1022, 1026, 1026. Saturday. I, I got a chart from the future. Hey, I want to hear. Uh, see if
1: they got any numbers on it, like lottery.
2: Well, it, says, it says corrected through, and it has L&M, NM, and CHS. So is that how long they're going to, if you could
0: have this on board? The
1: aviation no. charts I had are usually uh, no, six you, months.
0: No, it, You can take a chart from any point and then go to the NOAA website, and you'll get all changes to that chart from a given point. And in order for that chart to be considered current, you have to go in and make all those changes and notations. So you could take a chart that's 20 years old and bring it current through the change log, notice okay. to mariners. Or you can take one that's printed today, and it's got all those updates already included in it.
2: Wow. I and mean, there's a lot of good stuff on these charts. Oh, yeah. And they got got average, average lake levels.
0: Very useful pieces of information in there i good to have them. All your your lights and your light lists tells you how long the light's on for, how long the light's off for. So if you've got, you know, three different flashing lights on the horizon, just by looking at the timing of the lights, comparing it to your chart, you can tell which is which.
2: Now, looking at the St. Joe chart, Mac.
0: <laughs> what number uh, is that? What's that? What number is that?
2: That is 14930. And I also sent you in Skype a a link to it. Okay. St. Joe's a uh, bit there it is. But I mean that, that's actually pretty close. A little optimistic, I think, in some spots. But I don't know how often they go and take soundings in the river. Well, it's dredged to twenty-two feet. Yeah, because I'm looking up charcoal. by the uh, up above the boat launch, which we know that is just about zero.
1: <laughs> well, it's a lot better between the boat launch and the end of the piers now since they have been dredging.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and I think this reflects the the dredging they did too. So, you think about that. If they go and dredge, they could conceivably update the charts almost immediately.
0: Well, 21 feet as of June 2013. And let's look at where they 15.5 feet, May of 13. It doesn't show they were dredging, but. It's there. Interesting. Yeah, good and stuff. Nice to know you get current charts now.
2: Yeah, at least uh, get them where yeah. you can.
0: Get them where you can.
2: Yeah. I mean, for us, yeah. I, I mean, I'd want to get them. Uh, heck, if I can get them all, I'd get them all.
0: Yeah.
2: Also, hey, gives major us paper, a good, it might be good to take these charts and then we could lay wrecks right on top of them.
1: Yeah. The major piece of paper you want to make sure you have on your boat for long journeys or is toilet paper. That one you're not going to do without. <laughs> well, it,
2: depending on what you print the charts on, you could have both.
1: That's true.
0: Well, look at it. Either that or take a, a, a good magazine. You can always use a chart for toilet paper, but you can't use the toilet paper for a chart.
1: That's true. Yep.
0: There, there's your words of wisdom for the evening.
2: Now yeah, that might be the show title.
1: <laughs> there's some um, sick puppies on this network. <laughs> well,
2: we're not the only things that are broken. They say the ocean's broken. And this was from uh, somebody who had some experience with doing some long ocean trips. He had taken a voyage from Australia to Japan. And on his previous trip, he just would throw a line in the water and he'd get some fish. Uh, His most recent trip he took, he only had two fish the whole time. And along the course of that trip, he came across uh, a fishing vessel. And they gave him this big bag of fish. And, you know, the, he said, no, it's more than me and my crew can eat. You know, I don't need it all. And I said, well, if you don't take it, we're throwing it over. And so what he's, what he's realized is that the trawlers are just grabbing everything they can get with a lot of bycatch and, and then throwing it away, which is just robbing a lot of uh, uh, fish from the ocean. So we're just, he's, his position is he's saying that they're completely overfishing. So he said they gave him five big sugar bags full of fish, which I imagine is like a, what we would call a grain bag. He told us that was just a small fraction of one day's bycatch. They were only interested in tuna and everything else. It was just rubbish. It was all killed, all dumped. They just trawled the reef day and night and stripped everything living.
1: I think the important part there is they were saying that the trip is a 28-day trip, sailing trip. So when you talk about fishing, if you can't kit- catch but two fish in 28 days, it would be a little hard to survive.
2: Yeah, especially if you were planning on living off that. Yeah. He said part of it might also be the aftermath of tsunami that hit Japan a couple of years ago. He says it's all still out to everywhere you look.
1: Well, like I said, according to what he was saying, he didn't see diddly squat. No birds?
2: Yeah, he was saying if there were no fish, there were no birds. He said there were there were times where he couldn't start the motor on, on uh, his boat for fear of untangling the propeller in a mass of pieces of rope and cable. He said, we saw a factory chimney sticking out of the water with some kind of boiler thing attached below the surface. We had a big container type of thing just rolling over and over in the waves. We were weaving around pieces of debris. It's like we were sailing, uh, sailing through a garbage tip.
1: Sounds like he was through the tsunami after effects.
2: Yep. So the quote him, he's saying the ocean's broken.
1: Well, he's not just talking about to uh, Japan, though, because here they're talking about Hawaii. He was saying the guy boarded on at Hawaii from Hawaii to the States, and they were saying there were thousands on thousands of plastic yellow buoys, huge tangles of synthetic rope, fishing line nets, polyesterine or polystyrene foam by the millions, oil and petrol uh, slicks everywhere. So that sounds like, you like you said, tsunami after effects.
2: And if it floats, it's just going to keep floating. Wow. Let's see if we have anything a little bit better.
1: Well, do you see the other part where they were talking about not only was the debris out there, but the water quality and something has changed? That they, they had a vivid yellow paint job on their boat that historically doesn't get faded by the sound of the sea. Yet in the time they made their trip, it had been dulled in an unprecedented way. So the water itself was doing something to the, the paint on the boat.
2: Hmm. Now that is scary. Ah, uh, Yeah. Now, I'd like to validate, make sure that there wasn't something defective with the paint, but uh,
1: well, the last one here is I just kicked in that little aspect about a significant concern in the wake of the tsunami and consequent nuclear power station failure. So they were saying no one did any uh, radiological studies of any of the debris. That could have been interesting.
2: And that would be good to see um I, I'm, and I would actually be kind of surprised if there was much showing up on the debris. Uh, just because of the nature of uh, you know cesium, which I think is what you would find, is going to wash off in wave action and settle. Uh, the only exception would be is if any animals had ingested that, that's going to remain in them as they move through the food chain.
1: Well, it doesn't sound like a happy place out there.
2: No. No, it doesn't. So this is where we need a, a Jacques Cousteau, because that's what he would be doing right now, is he'd be out in his big boat surveying and then reporting on it. You know, with National Geographic and all these type of organizations, it seems like this would be a good article for them to cover. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got some resources out. You know, we got we got boats every day going across there. It seems like somebody should be able to get one out there and get some photos. Like, all I see is very few of the, the, the big garbage heap they say that's there.
1: You would think that you would also spot that, though, by satellite. If it's that vast of quantities and that thick... You know, is that much you would think that would be picked up?
2: It would have to be.
1: Yeah. So basically what we're saying is somebody does know and they do have pictures. We just haven't seen them yet.
2: Uh, too busy reading my email. Uh, Sports Chalet is preparing divers for recreational diving season. The Sport Chalet has completed, compiled a list of lobster diving necessities to have before diving in. Says all lobster divers must carry a spiny lobster report card that can be purchased from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. At the end of the season, report cards must be returned to the CDFW and the data is used to manage wildlife populations. Uh, they said everyone must carry a gauge like the one that Trident Metal abalone lobster clam when diving to ensure the lobsters are large enough to keep. They said be sure to check up on the measurements provided by the CDFW. It must be California Department of Fish and Wildlife, I'm guessing. Okay. They said a game bag is necessary for holding the captured lobsters while still diving. Uh, they say that they carry a lobster game bag, which I'm sure they do. That is great because of the securing closure won't allow the lobsters to escape. It says it's important to carry a dive light, and, and they recommend a couple brands. said always make sure you have a valid sports fishing license on hand when doing any kind of recreational fishing or diving. I wonder if you have to laminate that.
1: I would just for the hell of it.
2: Yeah. And they said, "Then here's some few tips they recommend for first time divers." They said hundreds of locations south of. Oh crud! What my this website I'm on decided it was going to go. Oh.
1: Well, I can finish it. that for you. Yeah,
2: if you. So want we're talking
1: to. about when grabbing a lobster, try to pin it down on the bottom rather than trying to grab it. Then try diving at night when the lobsters are the most active. It's uh, possible to catch lobsters during the day, but night dives are usually more protective and fruitful. Uh, check out the new spiny lobster brochure to ensure all the rules and regulations are being followed. I'm also sure they must reference about how to measure the lobster since you've got your little, uh, your gauge. Obviously, you should know how to use it. You know, from what point in the body to the tail is, you know, the minimum distance. Yeah, and that, I
2: think so, that's important because I've seen in... Uh... Uh, Like if you're doing crabs, the distance is from edge to edge. It's not across the arc of the shell. So you want to refer to whatever state guidelines you have and make sure you're measuring it that way. Because some of those finds are, are a little salty.
1: I would imagine that's true.
2: Okay. Next one up is discover the Titanic is mapping underwater America. Robert Ballard's new mission is to map and explore the U.S. ocean's boundaries. Underwater America is larger than most people realize. In 1983, Ronald Reagan expanded the country's sovereign rights 200 nautical miles from its shore for the purpose of exploring, exploiting, conserving, and managing natural resources. So, in effect, Ronald Reagan doubled the area area within the United States' boundaries. Uh, Ballard wants to explore and map it all. He writes about what's at stake at this mostly uncharted territory. And this is in the November issue of Natural Geographic magazine. Uh, They're saying that he's using uh, special sonar for this expedition. He's using sonar equipment that was super secret during the Cold War. uh, Manufactured by General Instruments. His multi-beam mapping system that is strapped to the bottom of Liberty ships because they were so big and stable. So awesome. Hopefully. And I hope they share it too. Maybe this goes back with our earlier article, the charts. Maybe they're going to make some updated charts. Okay, and now we have a fundraiser. The Lockwood Pioneer Scuba Diving Museum is to hold a benefit dive. The event will take place. No, oh, it's already taken place. <laughs> It was it took place on October twentieth at Fontana Beach. The purpose of cleanup was to educate divers and non divers about the ecologic ecology of local waterways.
1: Yeah, they're wet. Yeah, they're wet. Mm-hmm.
2: So they're hoping that the cleanup dive aims to promote community to come together, maintain environment in a safe and fun way. The cost of the dive with lunch was ten dollars. Without lunch it was five. Raffle tickets sold a dollar a piece. That's, that's that's a pretty big bargain right there. Museum didn't get rich on that one. Ah, uh, that's for sure. So Lockwood Pioneer Scuba Diving Museum. And then, how's about how about this to for something to find, Mac? Meteor, in big meteor underwater. The huge meteor chunk was pulled from a lake in Russia.
1: Is that from the one that we reported on a couple of months ago? When they finally got to dive. It was in the ice before. Remember? Probably.
2: Yeah they said they pulled from a murky lake in yep, eight the months Urals. ago, that's the
1: one we reported
2: yeah a half ton suspected meteorite yeah. to be part of a meteor's ground sh- uh, yeah yeah sh- shockwave hurt uh, 1200 people mm-hmm. in february so the recovery operation yep, came 8 better. months after the, the piercing streak of light the morning sky in central russia i thought it was an alien spaceship maybe that's what's in there that's why it's covered they said the meteor broke up into multiple pieces as entered the atmosphere, scattering debris around the industrial e- region, and scientists are finding pieces to this day. So much of the meteor landed in a local lake that divers entered on Wednesday in Operation Live on Russian TV. The live footage showed the team pulled out 1.5 meter long rock from the lake. Wow, that is, that is a huge meteorite.
1: They to didn't still say the how attacked. deep that was, did they? What's that? One how deep. But I'm uh, looking at the guy in the say. background, he looks like
2: a dry suit. To the Gale itself broke the moment it hit the 1,255-pound uh, mark, or 570 kilograms. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's that is a, that is a big boy. Yeah, 1,200 pounds worth.
2: You, you watch those meteorite hunting shows, and they're getting, what, $20 a gram or something?
1: It sounds like that could be very profitable for that. Yeah? So they got 12 pieces since February 15th accident or incident.
2: Yeah, they said they think the whole thing weighed about 600 kilograms said it will take time before scientists are certified that the rock they pulled from the lake was indeed came from outer space. Gee, with with, end, you know, with all those shows on TV, it only takes some minutes.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. That's like reality. TV shows are really reality. Yeah.
2: Yeah, take 22.
1: Yeah. Take, <laughs> take 22.
2: Okay. Well, that, that does it for those in the news. Now, here's, some, here's photos of the week. This is a story in itself. One family has been photographing shipwrecks for 150 years. The Gibson family, or I said 150, 130, so Cornish shipwrecks. And the reason they're bringing this up is cuz they're going to they're going to auction off the collection.
1: Well, some of the photos are really quite interesting.
2: Well, I'd love Cornwall to have a high-detail high scan of it cuz you, you look at these and these are actual photos of those ships. Yeah. And you know some of these there there are probably are not examples of these ships left anywhere so these photos could be valuable information and let's see i think if you if you click on the the photos along the top it's the fourth one i want to know what it is that came out of that wreck
1: it's cargo it's lumber
2: oh is that lumber
1: i was wondering sure, if it looks was like lumber. lumber yeah it looks like lumber
2: so that could be similar to what the wreck that that we're diving on now this one was from 1911 ours is older than that
1: yeah 1850s yeah
2: but it just looks like a bunch of toothpicks just fell off the top of the deck of it.
1: Yeah. There's something about a couple black of pictures and white of,
2: photography. I've got
1: well. a couple of pictures of um, a schooner that's been with the uh, lumber on top of it that there's more exposed from the top gunnel than the ship is below it. Yeah. And you can see why when you take them out and it's not perfectly flat, when they roll or the cargo shifts... If they're lucky, the, the the cargo breaks off and just they lose the cargo. Otherwise, it goes upside down and you, it it sinks. And that's that one picture looks like they had a lot of cargo on that baby. And you can tell there's going to be nothing left of that one because that's right in the rocks. Big storm is just going to pulverize whatever was left of that ship.
2: Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember if the article. I don't think they say how many ships they had in
1: there, but it was a lot.
2: And and the most recent he, one was into was it eighty nine. 90s? 98.
1: One was a a steel hull. Yeah. Yeah, 97. Yeah. Uh, Isles of Sicily. Yeah, I think they said they had 200 shipwrecks, not necessarily just 200 pictures.
2: Yeah, 200 shipwrecks. So awesome.
1: That would be interesting to, to take a look at those.
2: And then how's this for some potentially cool scuba gear? We've covered this one so many times, people are probably getting tired of it, but we have the James Bond's car. Is back in the news. It had sold at auction, and now the buyer of it has been exposed, and it's Elon Musk. So, uh, Elon Musk, who's the CEO of Tesla Motors, he bought the Lotus body for nine hundred eighty-nine thousand dollars at auction in London last month, and his plan is to take the prop and turn it into a working subcar using Tesla electric drivetrain, which that tells me that he gets to deduct it. So yeah, it's going to be a big promotion. He's probably already got a million dollars in promotion out already. Oh, I bet. So he's going to take it and he's going to try and do it. Now he hasn't told anybody if he's going to try to turn it into the true James Bond car. Will be able to drive or not? Uh, the, in the movie, they had three different cars, and they depending on whether it was on the surface or entering the water or coming out or underwater. So there's some speculation that he might try and do all three with this one. You know, and the, and the thing with the the cars is they're they're There's a lot of risk with those all-electric cars of getting them wet. So I wonder if that's part of his angles. He's trying to show how safe they are by being able to take it underwater. And then if you happen to get that car, I think what he needs to go with it is the new assault rifles that the Russian underwater military units are going to use. This is one we've also shown in the past, but these are updated versions. They say they work above the water as well as below.
1: There was another version out that was... uh done gosh 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and they're thinking about bringing that back because it's a very excellent underwater weapon
2: yeah and that was the gyro jet i think that's what this is i think this is the the next version of that
1: well the gyro one was where basically it was uh the cartridge it it really didn't have any propellant was the cartridge so when it ignited there was no ejection of a cartridge because you didn't need it and uh, it was like a steel dart that would come out Mm -hmm. And because of its dynamics, it would travel further and have more impact. It's like caseless ammo. And uh, I think I sent around to a couple of people some ultra, ultra slow speed dynamics of nine mils and AKs being fired underwater Mm -hmm. just from the interesting aspects of the dynamics of the. Vortexes that it forms in its passage through the water.
2: Yeah, you, de- you definitely have different. Well, you, what does well above water doesn't necessarily do well under. Yeah. Like all those movies where they're shooting people from the surface and they get them. Doesn't seem like that happens all that often in reality.
1: Well, I think, uh, what is it, the guys who do that, uh, the Mythbusters? Yeah. Uh, they did that. And I think they were saying that if you can get below 10 feet or so, you got to get a chance of not being hurt. But you got to be at least 10 feet. Yep. Yeah. Now, all bets are off if they throw a grenade under because a concussion would you know, yeah, yeah, do you some damage. Yeah,
2: the bullet didn't actually hit you, but your insides are liquid.
1: Well, like the submarines don't worry about that. You know? you know how they do it, don't you? No. They turn their sonar on. Oh. <laughs> oh, because that'll, that'll, that'll fry you. You're, you're screwed. Throw the grenade. Throw the grenade. Just don't turn the sonar on. Okay. And I think what, what else? We had something
2: else. Oh, underwater Wi-Fi. So once you get the car and the gun, then you need the, the internet connection. Yeah, that's what we need. Yeah, d- 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 yeah, Facebook underwater.
1: Yeah, you guys are going to tweet and do all that kind of stuff?
0: No, just use it for communications. Yeah.
2: So what they're doing, and uh, they the the link I had is, is really the wrong link, but uh, going from memory, what they were – what they're, what, they and there's a couple different. One was an experiment that they were doing, and it was basically like if you remember the old 300 or 1,200 baud modems where you could hear the tones – it's that same type of tone that they're doing underwater. And they're carrying long distances. So I'm kind of curious if you'd be able to have too many devices going at the same time where they just talk over each other.
1: Yeah, I get a lot of crosstalk. That would be an interesting item, yes.
2: But uh, I think they did the test in the Great Lakes. It was Toronto. And uh, they were able to go from, I think, Lake Huron to Lake Erie. So it's probably in the lower spectrum. And Okay, well, that that does it for the news, the photos... And the cool scuba gear.
1: Well, let me plug one or two items. I talked to you earlier about on Facebook. So if people have been on Facebook, at least on what we've been looking at, the guy had a submersible kayak. Now, I saw it today. I'm going to look for it make sure that, Darren, that you get a copy of it. But that was a freaking awesome item. It had a video of him loading it off his car, his dolly, getting it in the water, getting on board, paddling out, and then closing his hatch. And then somebody, and he also had GoPro at the forward end, and divers follow him down. And let me tell you, that is freaking awesome.
2: Was it a wet so, sub? No, dry sub. So a dry sub that was essentially a kayak?
1: Yes, sir. I, You will have it next week. Everybody will be able to see it, because that just, it was it was great. Okay. You just have to see this one. So, so we'll, 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 we'll try to get that for you next week. That's worth coming in and tuning in oh, just yeah. to get the link to it.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So... Now was it this, this let's talk about that. Now Jim, you had a show this last weekend?
0: Yeah, the Mud Club did a show. Well, actually, it was the Shipwrecks and Technology put on by the West Michigan Underwater Preserve and it was uh, just outside of Grand Haven. Mud Club put a booth in the show and I got to do a call out. We had half a dozen people who listened to the show come in and say hello. Um, Looking for you and Mac. Oh, we were no. you disappointed, but, you know, we gave him Mary Beth instead, so. Hopefully
2: well, Jack, it. if you have a choice, you know, Mary I, Beth's he, much better than, than myself. Uh, I'd
0: you? much rather go to a show with Mary Beth than with you or Mac. I mean, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't blame you there.
0: <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry.
2: <laughs> now, the show was in Muskegon?
0: The show was in uh, Grand Haven.
2: Grand Haven. Haven. Yes, yeah, yeah. I just, was not too no far from Heaven. there. I had uh, the band performance for my daughter. I was, uh, yeah,
0: was chaperoning deep. on the bus. Yeah, actually, it's Spring Lake, but it's just across the river from Grand Haven, and it was an, a nice show. Um, got to meet some some good people. Got to see some people I hadn't seen for a while, and uh, met some divers who were interested in diving with the Mud Club, and met some people who listened to the show and were awesome. One of Did Harry Zeig?
1: Like Did Harry it. say Harry what he, was over, was, for? he, say what he was over there? Did he say what he was over there? What was Harry there for? Uh, I'm trying to think. Did he present? I don't think he presented. He was just there with uh, supporting the show. For, for those who don't know, Harry was one of the developing people who found uh, the initial parts of uh, the Havana. Uh, he was one of our first participants in our uh, underwater aquathon that we used to carry off the uh, South Pier there and St. Joe in the early 70s. So Harry's been around he a while. And Harry has also been the one who has got a good number of wrecks identified and marked that are not identified to anybody else from the old days when he used to come out here and do uh, investigations for people who have lost boats or for the insurance companies. And at the time, he would locate other items and make sure he marked his charts. And he also is the one who got the title and rights to... The Lady Elgin, ah, in case you didn't know that.
0: He, uh, in, he, he was talking about, you know, the old aquathon that we had uh, and the uh, how he's got some trophies at home from the Compass Course, yep. and the blackout master swim uh, that uh, used to be done in here. Do you he remember yep. that? And he was talking about we were we were talking about side scan and how side scan is changed and he said this is so much better than the days when he used to get towed behind the boat with his scuba gear and a, a, a glider board, and a sled behind the boat. That's what he used to yep, find a lot that's of how, his wrecks.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. He's been there and done that and got the T shirt.
2: <laughs> and the shipwreck too with
1: it. Yes. But he spent a lot of time out there on the water.
0: And that's what he says. He's, you know, talk about Dave Trotter and the finds Dave has and Ralph Wilbanks and the finds he has. And he says, you know, you're not going to find it unless you're on the water. You know,
1: Very every true. day you're
0: on the water is a day you're that much closer to finding something. A day you're not on the water, you're not going to find anything.
1: Yep. And if you're out on the water, you know where it isn't.
0: That's exactly it. That's, you know, a, a day on the water with no finds. you know, is not a bad day. It's a day that you don't, you know where the wrecks are not. So...
2: Very cool. So, uh, uh, apologize for anybody who went there looking for me. I, I wish I had been able to go there. We'll, we'll have to make it up. We're gonna ma- we're gonna make some of these other events this next year. Uh, now, as so, far as diving, what what type of diving? I mean, Mac, you, you, it's been a while. I think you, you've probably pulled up a couple tons off the bottom by now.
1: I think the majority of items that we did. I think the last major dive that uh, Jim was on with us was. We can have half go in the river, and he spent most of the time digging the bottles over there by the car. Mm-hmm. And then the following day, uh, he had some assistance from the fire department with the jet, <laughs> which <laughs> excavated a little more of the car, uh, where they checked that. And I think you built up some yeah, bones we... for them to take a look at to validate that they, they were not human remains
0: correct? Right. That was about three weeks ago. We talked about that uh, on the last show, which was two weeks ago. So that was about three weeks ago. Since then, you and Larry have done some recovery in the river.
1: Yeah, we've we've been out there working. Uh, We actually did a recon in the middle of last week and uh, located another uh, railroad coupling. We found the one under the bridge. We were going to get that one over the weekend, and then we had dove it in the middle of the week. And found another one, which was only a couple hundred yards from our pier. Now, our first question is how the heck did it get there? Because it weighs so much.
2: I mean, so would, we went, say again? Did somebody just like throw it? Oh,
1: you're not going to throw that anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it took three of us to lift it. Uh, so how it got there, I don't know. But we went back out and recovered that one first using our new little toys. Uh, and then we figured that worked out pretty good let's go ahead and go up topside so we went back up by the bridge went back in where we did the drift dive drifted on down to the uh, center part anchored our little uh, float nation device and then uh, recovered the second one and then made a drift dive from that point all the way back down to maramont and got it out
2: and if you want to see what mac's talking about if you go to mudclub.scubaobsessed.com you can see that platform that's pretty impressive
1: it was nice. It's it's one of those uh, the old pontoons where you used to have the bicycle on top. Ah, you paddle it. So we just stripped off that part, and it makes a real good platform to put either um, a hookah pump, battery, or gasoline powered. And if you use a come along through the middle, and you've got. Uh, five, 600-pound motor or something, anchor it on, jack it right up under the pontoons, and you can come into the shallow water. Yeah, so I like, it really it. I like how it. wide it is. Well, and it really is good because two people can pick it up very easily and and position it. So that's, that's a nice little item to have in the back pocket when you're out there diving. Mm-hmm. Then I got a, a call for a recovery on uh, Sunday, which was out at Pawpaw Lake in the channel. I like it when the people go out there to winterize their boats and then drop their brand new iPhone 4s or whatever the heck they are, because then they really get anxious to get them back in a hurry. So i got to dive out there.
2: Not with somebody's
1: phone? Well, fortunately, I, I said, you know, generally people usually take a net and try to put it down into the bottom and look for it. And what they really do is bury it so the guy can't find it when you finally decide to get someone. And uh, I was mentioning that to him, and then I watched the expression, which told me that, yeah, he had done that. Uh, But fortunately for him, uh, the handle on his net was not long enough to get down into the bottom. (laughs) So I went down, did find it, and he was very happy to get it back. And I was happy to have a nice little dive and get paid for it. Ah, nice. Now let's see what else. There's also
2: another one, uh, Clay Banks. What was that one?
1: Well, we have some pictures, and I think Jim can talk about that one, because he went out and measured some of those. But one of the pictures in the club site does have the clay banks, which is an interesting place to go. Jim, go ahead and take up on that. Well,
0: we found a area in 40 feet of water that has a mound that comes up to 31 feet. And between the mound and the 40, there's some very interesting, like, canyons you can swim around. So, we need to get out there and check it out a little more get some measurements on it. Uh, but it's about 60 feet across from side to side. Um, and like I say, it comes up about 10 feet and it's like swimming along and all of a sudden you hit a mountain. So hopefully we'll have more information and get that posted on the, the club site, the website,
2: now, have so we ever talked to, talk to a year. to a geologist to see what you know? What can they explain why the clay is there?
1: And, and that would be the interesting part because uh, one of the uh, jobs I had a couple of years ago was going out there doing surveys, and it it's, it shows you how much current you have out there and how diverse the current really is and how strong the current is. But again, why that particular section is that way, I don't know. I don't see any bottom terrain which would encourage that to happen but by the same token that's the section and one of the items we were looking for is i had found a section of bare clay and that the sand had actually been stripped away from and there is a uh, a compact bottom texture that's thousand years old and this was one of the reasons i was out there doing a survey they were concerned that the the sand erosion was now destroying the, the actual bottom bottom of the lake And I found a section that looked like a road, which it wasn't, but it it looked like it, and had a shear break of at least six to eight inches. You know what I mean by shear break?
2: Yeah, just like it. If you had
1: a road and half of it jumped down six, eight inches, that's exactly what it looks like. And at the time, I, I was doing other items. I didn't get a chance to pursue it left and right of the break. But I'd like to find that again because that was freaking unique. I mean, that looked like a seismic event had happened how long ago that must have been
2: well they've uh, i mean we, we've talked about it before as well that the angle of the great lakes has changed because the glacier has has left it and then the crust is actually because there's not that weight of the the ice glacier that we had during the ice age that the crust is moving back up and it's actually changed the angle of both lake michigan and lake huron so i wonder if this is just you know that relaxing of the terrain and eventually, at some point in time, kind of like your house settling, you're going to get some of these drastic movements.
1: Well, I know that was sharp enough that had that happened any time recent, you would have picked it up on your seismic charts. Well, you think
2: about it, a shear in water of six inches can make a hell of a wave. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean water is non-compressible, so you get that, mu- that you get that shear. You know, you, you've got and tsunamis that move from one side of an ocean to another for you know similar situations.
1: Right, and you've got your seismic instrumentation there at the uh, Cook Plant and at Palisades. And had it been any time within the last thirty or forty years, they would have picked that up because you're not going to get a movement that significant that they would not have picked up from six miles away. Right. And the last item I'd like to bring up, I think you and I have already talked about it a little bit, Uh and uh, I just want to make a little note that uh, I received a a little item from a a young lady, uh, Joan Edney, E-D-N-E-Y, and she's from Australia. She's a doctoral candidate in the School of Environmental Sciences, and what she was doing, uh, she's also a diver, recreational diver, and they're doing... There. Let me rephrase that. I'll just read it. Uh, She's a recreational scuba diver, Ph.D. candidate at Charles Stewart, S-T-U-R-T, University in Australia, doing research into scuba diving. Um, She was hoping I could assist, and she sent me a link to an online survey uh, for the divers. And I have that available, and we're going to talk about this at the dive club. Um, She was very keen to get as many recreational divers as possible to participate in the survey, regardless of their level of experience, and inviting all recreational divers from across the U.S. to get on board. The survey aims to gain a better understanding of recreational divers, in particular, their demographic, dive experience, characteristics, and their motivations for diving. It also seeks to gain more specific information about rec divers, a special interest group of divers that little is known about. Knowing more about divers is important because it gives dive and tourist or tourism operators and resource planners and managers information which allows them to plan for and provide the types of dive experiences that most closely match that which divers want. It also helps dive and tourist operators with their marketing and promotion. And basically, she's collecting the information, not their names. The data would be analyzed only, and participants would remain anonymous. So we'll we'll provide that available, you know, the, a copy of the uh, survey at the meeting for discussion. Now, I took took the uh, survey, and in my response to her, I told her that had I been able to read it completely first, I would have not taken the survey. And my logic and my reasoning for it was I felt that many of the questions could not be answered without qualifiers because if you had a choice of strongly agree strongly disagree and you had two, three, four in the middle, what if you were middle of the rotor and you could not comment why you felt different? You know, if you're one way totally, that's it's easy to figure out what to do if it's restrictive. If it's totally in the other way, then you don't want any restrictions. That's understandable. But what degree is in the middle? And that's where I would imagine most people would be, not at either end. So it'd be important to know what's in the middle. And the questions that I had problems with were uh, one section that talked about diver controls, diver briefings, use of guides in a dive, moving or not moving artifacts, special certifications, putting wrecks off limits, penalties, and should not all wrecks be protected? And again, to me, you couldn't answer that. Like, did you stop beating your wife? What's the right answer? Ooh, right. So right. I, I couldn't really come that I could honestly put my opinion knowing that there's so much variable in the middle. And, uh I, I mentioned that I thought the survey appeared to be at marketing and a desire to control divers on wrecks of marketable marketable value, and again, just my opinion. So I will make that available for the club. Uh, I also sent her a response because she she was nice enough to come back really really fast and said uh, they had uh, they had run the survey previously in Australia and, uh, and in C H U U K. I can't pronounce that worth a darn. How do you pronounce that, guys? Chuck C H U U K. It's got to be somewhere in Australia or New Zealand in that area. Okay. Uh, and their comment was that nobody has required any qualifiers as I as I suggested. <laughs> and uh, she'd be happy to give me some more information if I would find it helpful. And that I, w- they'd like some more specifics about what did I mean by qualifiers. So I sent her a response to that. And I also sent uh, uh, Darren a copy so we'd see if I was totally off base or not. <laughs> and, well, I didn't think so, but I just – <laughs> sometime I, I, as an old crotchety old person, I may sometime have an opinion that's not very nice or right, not not very nice, but
2: You're
1: nice enough. Not PC, I suppose. Yeah. But that'll also be available for other people who want to look at it. And uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. And if it's good, then I'd like everybody else to help this lady out and fill out the forms or the survey but again, if you feel comments need to be added, make sure you send a follow-up with it saying you filled the survey out and this is your opinion with a little extra data or feedback. So this could be interesting. I'm yeah. interested in seeing where this goes and the results of the survey. Yeah, because I, I took the survey as well, and I,
2: and I agree with you. The way the, the, way the questions you, – you ask questions you want answers to, and I think to really properly do a survey – you have to have a lot of questions that are beyond what you really want. I mean in really a survey, you almost have to come into it with a with no preconceived notion of what the answer should be. And I think the the challenge with that from getting people to take surveys is people's time's valuable and they don't want to sit through and answer four hundred questions.
0: Yeah, but then you can't use the survey results for what you want to use them for. <laughs> don't steer people's answers to, you know, Basically, uh, you know, are you still beating your wife? Type of question.
2: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I felt the same way. I could tell by the survey that, yeah, and and from reading her emails, you that was not the position that she says they were taking, but you kind of felt like that there was an agenda to begin with on the survey.
0: Uh, uh, right liars, to, and liars and statisticians and Yeah. statisticians write surveys
1: <laughs> yes well I, I tried to give her uh, at least my perspective but I tried to give her some information that was by the state so I followed up with uh, uh, an information from Noah from the uh, preserved up there in Canada uh, my mind of uh, the senior moment here what's the major one up in Canada we Double go one. to that's controlled uh, Tobermory more. yeah because that fits the bill for what they, it appears they want to do is, you know, if you have an area that has fine wrecks of different depths capabilities, they are entitled to buoy the wrecks, have their rules and regulations, have permits to dive. And I, I showed that this is done in certain conditions. I also sent them the uh, information from the department or DEQ here in Michigan, And all the rules and regulations for diving and for the preserves and their establishment, which included the artifact references to the antiquities laws and and items like this that she can also use for what we physically do here and legally do. Because here there is no permit required for any diving anywhere in the Great Lakes, as well there shouldn't be. And that's what I tried to project is this is one person's feelings from diving in the old days and the new days. And here's the current laws that are in effect that are a little bit hybrid of what she's talking about, of, of certifications, of permits, of cost to do something. So it'll be interesting to see where the survey goes. And I'd like to see the results. Certainly.
2: So do you think we should uh, give the survey link to the people in the chat room?
1: I want to go through the club first, okay, and then we can release our comments from the club meeting and uh, put it on. And you can do it, yeah, at the at the podcast. I think it'd be a great place. Yeah. And then I was going to post it on the club site and make a little Facebook reference that we could maybe send out to the other dive clubs in the in the area. Sounds good. So I'm just glad she gave us an opportunity to give her, her opinion. It was nice. I appreciate it. So that's my two cents for the day. <laughs> Almost a nickel. Yeah with inflation. Yeah.
2: Well, we have got Dema coming up here pretty soon. So if you're if you happen to be going to Dema, drop me a line. I think what I'd like to do is have some interviews with people who went to Dema after the show. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go. I've got enough frequent flyer miles to get down there, but I think I'll save it for next year. Wow.
1: Yeah, you just want to go where it's warm and wet and Yeah, I want, I want to go to the and Yeah. Yeah, where <laughs> by the way, where is it this year? It's, it's
2: Orlando this year, isn't it?
1: I really don't know.
2: Yeah, it flips between Vegas and Orlando, it seems like.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get to our world, and I'll be happy with that.
2: Yeah, well, hopefully I can make that one as well. We'll see. It always seems like my daughter's got a swim meet on that weekend. Uh, now, uh, uh, Jim, did you see that email that uh, Steve sent us? No. Yeah, I guess uh, ambient pressure is, is going to have a, a big announcement at DEMA. Oh, okay. So, and I think we we can we can break it here. I don't think it was a, t- a secret. If if not, if it was a secret, oops, we don't know where we got it from, Steve. No last names. Yeah, no last names, but uh, ambient pressure. You remember when we were when we took the rebreathers apart, and then you saw you had the oxygen sensors, and they said there's that hole there, and that hole was for something. Oh,
0: yes, that hole was for something that we were hoping they would add.
2: Yep. So uh, they're announcing that at DEMA that they've they've added the CO2 sensor, and uh, in the press release that was sent, they talk about all the complexities with it, which is they use infrared to detect co2 levels and part of it was they had to overcome because i guess the when you use uh, infrared to measure co2 moisture in the air can affect the reading Mm -hmm. so they had to engineer a system to where they're able to uh, remove that moisture from the air that they're measuring the co2 levels in Ah. Uh, and so they they explain that so we'll have a little bit more information on that as as DEMA comes closer, but you can keep an eye out. So that's going to be uh, a new announcement. And and, uh, ambient pressure units are CE rated. So uh, they didn't say it on this, but I'm sure that this has to be part of the system so you know that it's passed some quality control checks. That's great. Uh, And also, uh, Jim, I sent you, and you've been traveling, so you didn't get to see it, but there was uh, uh, an aircraft carrier that just sold for a penny. Oh. It was a dollar. Maybe it was a dollar, a penny, a dollar, something like that. It Was a dollar? I I I, I could make I could make up the difference, but uh, it's they're going to take it from Philadelphia and it's going to go to Texas to be scrapped. And do like you I remember was, which one that was, Mac? Let me see if uh, I pull that up. Probably should have covered that in the news.
1: It's a cool picture, very 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 big carrier. And I was going to say they may have sold it for a dollar, but there's no way in blazes you could afford the uh, towing fee and the gas of dragging that little sucker from oh, no. one port to the other.
2: Yeah, that, no, that's that's certainly true. That uh, it, it's going to cost you a little bit more than a dollar because this is a uh, uh, let's see, what was a nineteen sixty two aircraft carrier? That's going to drive. I keep nuts.
1: thinking, I keep thinking that was the one that was built in the fifties because it's all it's all uh, action in Vietnam. And if you look at some of the history of that boat, you know everybody knows McCain, right? Yeah. Prisoner of War. Yeah. The largest accident on a ship during that period of time happened on that aircraft carrier. A spark ignited a missile launch on another aircraft. That missile impacted McCain's aircraft, by the way. Yeah. And then it proceeded then to blow up the freaking ship. It damaged or totaled twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two aircraft. I think it killed over three hundred individuals on that boat. And it basically resulted in having to reconfigure training for firefighters on on ships and boats, man, war. Because that first explosion took out almost all of their fire people because they were fighting the first blaze when all the other bombs on the other aircraft went off.
2: Yeah, because you, you, you um, lost your firefighters. The and...
1: video is freaking amazing. Yeah, you lost everybody. It, it, it was a tragic experience. And uh, like I said, the boat's got a lot of history.
2: Yeah, th- this was the USS Forrestal. Yep. And uh, let's see, how much does it cost to ri- originally build?
1: Like 214 Million, which is equivalent to like 2 billion now?
2: Yep, 2 billion now. It was 16,000 engineers, draftsmen, and builders worked on the ship. It was uh, August 1954 was the issue. Oh, that was when it was in uh, Popular Science. So if you got back issues of Popular Science, look up 1954, August. Uh, It had 3,500 crew. They said to apply the needs of the water for the crew, which was uh, eight times that of the boilers, Uh, they had to store nearly 400,000 gallons of water. Yeah, and then uh, McCain was in an A-4 Skyhawk, and the rocket was launched from an F-4 Phantom when that spark went off. So it was decommissioned in 1993, yep. stationed in Newport, Rhode Island, until 2010. Moved to Philadelphia Naval and Active Ship Maintenance Facility, where there's currently more than 20 decommissioned naval vessels.
1: I've flown over that area, and you just drool every time you see the number of sub. Submarines are anchored in there. Oh. It's like, can I have one of those? Just one. Well,
2: the thing about it is you think.
0: The Philadelphia Navy Yard? Yeah, Philadelphia. Man, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, just, that I just love it. It was there. Unbelievable.
2: Well, you think about it, Well, and I think we should propose the Great Lakes as an archival storage. <laughs> well, because, because what they got in the surface, underwater, it's underwater sitting there surface. getting weather, it's rusting, it's, it's breaking down in the salt water. You put that in the Great Lakes and you sink it, and it's going to last for 200, 300 years. And
1: it wouldn't have as much draft, so you could bring it up to Mississippi. Yeah. We could get it here. And that should be cheaper because you don't have near as much tonnage to drag. Yeah. And I think we
2: could pass the hat and get a dollar.
1: Well, I know you get a few dollars from some people, but it is amazing what it costs even to get something for free.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's no such thing as anything for free. It's like a free horse, which I just recently (laughs) got, which wasn't... (laughs) How about a free puppy? Okay, about that time, is not it? It is now. As far as uh, oh, what was I gonna say? As far as um, oh well, I'll think. Of, I'll think of it here before we go here. Uh, you can you can follow us on on Facebook at facebookcom forward slash obsessed. Also remember our website, which is in desperate need of me to at least update the articles. Plus, I'm working on new design, so that's been taking a little bit of my time. So I I think I'm just going to break down and update the articles. I I always insist on putting photos, but maybe I might do these in a few phases where I'll do the the photos and later. I'll just do the the links for now. Uh, Also follow us on Twitter where we have news. Uh, I usually post news three or four times a week out there, and even more than what we cover on the show. So I follow us on Twitter at scubaobsessed is the Twitter handle. I also did a li- doing a little bit on Google Plus, but still trying to get my feel for that. Uh, I went to the dark side, and you know, now that I have a, a Mac computer I use as a daily driver, I, I, my iPhone died, so I replaced it with a with a Google Android <laughs> this week. So still getting used to that. Yeah, let's see here. So anybody else got anything else they want to plug before we get onto that time? I'm pretty uh, dry. Oh, my gosh, I'm looking at this one. Oh, do we have any, any diving
1: planned coming up? Well, of course. Well, okay. depend on diving plans, it's just the river is calling to me for the weekend.
2: Yep, so you got river diving, and then we also have the turkey dive coming up. Yep. And that's, uh, is that Friday or Saturday?
1: Normally it's Saturday. Saturday. Saturday
2: after Thanksgiving. So Saturday after Thanksgiving, we'll have the club turkey dive.
1: And we're not a bunch of turkeys diving. Well, okay, some of us are.
2: Wow, I'm looking at this joke and it's really bad, and I can't oh, remember if I, need a good bad joke. I can't remember if I've given it before. Well, do it anyway. Okay. Well, this one kind of goes with the weather. Uh, a couple goes to the art gallery and they find a picture of a naked woman with only her private parts covered with leaves. The wife doesn't like it and moves on, but the husband keeps looking. The wife asks, "What are you waiting for?" The husband replies, "Autumn." Um,
1: What's so bad about that?
2: Did, did I do that one? I don't yeah.
1: remember that one.
0: I don't remember that. That seems like a
2: good one.
1: Okay. i just come back during a stiff wind.
2: <laughs> stiff wind. Or well, you could bring a, a leaf blower.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, help Mother Nature out.
2: Yeah. yeah, Just cleaning things up. So on that note, until next week, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe.
2: And pick up the leaves. <laughs>
0: Has been
1: completed. It's so strange to have a headset on talking into a microphone. I think oh, you're going to save so me better, about Mark. two
2: hours of editing, though. It sounds
0: so much better.
1: Oh.
2: It does, yeah. Because uh, I di- I didn't hear you typing. Normally, that's what I got to clean up. Is uh, there's a lot of typing that you pick up when you use a speaker.
1: Uh, well, my new keyboard makes no noise, and my computer, my major computer, I have to lean down to say, is that sucker on? Because even the fan is a whisper quiet.
0: Oh, wow. You mean you got a new computer?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I bit the bullet. Oh. I mean, I just, the other one, the hard drive has uh, been threatening to go bad, and I keep backing it up, and then it'll sound like it's a meat grinder, and then all of a sudden it'll stop for a couple of weeks. And it's like just waiting for me to get more stuff on it and not back it up, and then it's going to die on me. Mm. Well. What... So I bought me a new one. I got a, but I got Windows 8. and I, I hate it. I hate it. I'm trying to just cool my jets and not be totally negative, even though I hate it.